Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus this podcast is part of the sports social podcast network this podcast is part of the sports social podcast network this podcast is part of the sports social podcast network this podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes, not Kevin Graham. Uh, and I'm joined today by Russell Boyce because Kevin's not showing up, Russell. So I'm having know, to take yeah. the hot seat. Are you disappointed? Just It just feels strange, but you're a more than able deputy, I think, Paul. You know, I mean, I think you might make a career in this one day. Um, possibly. So <laughs> possibly. But I'm concerned that it might be, I don't know, having discussions with a, a fellow podcast elsewhere. Uh, you never know. <laughs> you never know. He's a man in demand. We know that. And, well, you know, to, it is. Just to flip it, I think as well, I'm a wee bit concerned about heel feels uh, when he realises he's, you know, watching us two on the screen. That's when it'll really hit hard for him. It might. It might be one of the things like, you know, the relationship <laughs> thing on Facebook when somebody pops up with somebody new. He might be getting these emotions. He might be getting these emotions. Now, at about one o'clock, we're also going to really stick the boot into Kev because, you know, Kev's a poet, but we've got another poet coming on at one. So uh, we will introduce John Trainer to the show at about one o'clock. Kev, you're forgotten about already, mate. Um, but there is loads to talk about in Kevin's absence um, around the world of Celtic. I was just saying before you came on there, interestingly enough, Sky Sports News ran with uh, Roy Keane and Nicky Butt this morning. Now, we all know, Russell, that you're on the Roy Keane bus. And I think what's happened, actually, uh, they dialed in Simon Donnelly. Simon Donnelly, who's a friend of the podcast. Good guy, Simon. Uh, and he said he was excited with any potential appointment of Roy Keane and Nicky Butt. Uh, obviously, that was tweeted out from myself last week and it caused a bit of a stooshy but one person who got on the Keen bus straight away was yourself and I just want to ask you the question Russell why Keno? Um, I think I think what really was important for me was to try and bring some sort of balance to uh, an extraordinary amount of negativity towards someone that is a footballing legend now I was asked a question about Roy Keno on here a couple of weeks back and I said not for me not in this day and age however that's not how it was pitched. It was pitched as a director of football and a sort of Nicky Butt leaving first-team duties at Manchester United to be obviously what you would expect head coach sort of thing with Roy Keane as the sort of the figurehead, if you like. Now, that to me is completely different from hiring Roy Keane 
just to take over all football matters in a Brendan Rodgers sort of style role because that mm. would be I, I totally accept that wouldn't work what frustrates me is that when it was uh, Fergal Harkins and Enzo Maresca that was getting discussed everyone's extremely excited by that a man with no managerial record and yet you've got Roy Keane pretty sure he's won a league title as a manager I know everyone wants to talk about 10 years ago and, he, and he's win rate he won a league title big difference um, he's standing in the game is night and day and he'll also still be with that same guy Fergal Harkins who seems to be you know I, I don't know if it's just me but I mean if Fergal Harkins is willing to work with Roy Keane if that was the narrative you know is he suddenly a diddy now as well and what you know what was so inspiring about and I think what I really found frustrating was I, I formed an argument for Roy Keane and I thought you know it's good to have a positive spin on things as well because it's too easy to be negative it's too easy when We've just came out of season, really, rightfully so, calling out Neil Lennon. Let's not start if it was to be Roy Keane. And I think he's been the most believable of the rumours so far. I think he's been the hottest one so far as, as a potential reality. And I think, I don't want to get off on the same footing as what we've just left with the Neil Lennon stuff. So I'm going to try and get behind it and, and, and try and back what's happening. And I think when I looked at the arguments for Maresca as well, I think that's where I got really frustrated because we were entering Louis Walsh territory a wee bit and it was actually sounding a bit like uh, uh, Louis Walsh and the judges panel on X Factor. He's young, he's fresh, he's talented and I'm like, <laughs> that's just sound bites. I mean, that's not, you're telling me nothing about this guy so that's kind of where I'm at on it. Rant over you know, already, Paul. I'll just, that's me done by the way for the day. No, but it was concerning me, Russell, was the amount of Westlife references that are creeping into a Celtic State of Minds bulletins. Um, that's twice in a week that we've had a Westlife reference. He was Westlife's manager, wasn't he, Louis Walsh? Um, no, I think you make a good point with the Maresca one, though, right? Because Enzo Maresca comes in with the, you know, the, the continental vibe, right? And you think, oh, yeah. But as you say, he's only managed at under-23 level. You know, he's had a, he's had a, a, a very good uh, sterling playing career. But I mean, if you want to, you know, compare playing careers with Roy Keane, then you're going to have to do pretty well. And it doesn't go on your your pedigree as a player. So he's highly rated. He's on under twenty three coach at this moment in time. He may well progress. We know that uh, Maresca has been an assistant boss elsewhere. But you're right. Sometimes it's that perception, isn't it? Well, we all know Roy Keane is this abrasive character who is an excellent. Uh, although divisive pundit and we also know that uh, he's had two managerial um, appointments in the past that Sunderland and Ipswich got Sunderland promoted to uh, the Premier League down in England he's then been an assistant manager to Paul Lambert, Martin O'Neill at the likes of Aston Villa the Republic of Ireland and Nottingham Forest um, but you know you, you name Enzo Maresca and all of a sudden and it's something I think that we've fallen into a trap um, as a club in many ways, when we're signing players. So I seen a, an interesting wee um, broadcast yesterday or the day before from the, the Hail Hail 67 guys, Hamish and that, and they were talking about why don't we sign Scottish players anymore? And I, I found that quite an interesting one because I think we've maybe spoken about it uh, from time to time on Axon because they're unfashionable, right? So you've got a wee guy playing for St Mirren and I remember um, being at a St Mirren game and talking, I was introduced to Tommy Craig who at that time was managing St Mirren mm -hmm. uh, and talking to Tommy Craig and uh, he says, keep an eye on young John McGinn. Now, I think he, he might have been 17 or something like that at this time, Russell. And this was at Celtic Park, 17 or 18. It was at Celtic Park and he was the best player on the pitch. Now Celtic won that day. I would need to check the wiki, but I think it was 1-0 Stefan Johansson header at the back post, I think, mm -hmm. uh, from memory. But we McGinn was superb. So you're looking at that and you think, why didn't we go for him even then? You know, Hibs have got a habit of going and getting players at that kind of stage. They've done it with Nisbet, haven't they? Yeah. Um, bringing in Nisbet from Dunfermline. He showed that he can take that step up to the pyramid. And I'm not saying we should go and buy Nisbet uh, by any means, but we always seem to have that tendency not to go for the, the young kid in Scotland. I think we did back in the day. But if John McGinn, uh, as you say, had one of these uh, sexy names and he was playing in, in Serie A for one of the lower league Serie A clubs and we signed him as a 17-year-old, we'd all be doing backflips. We know what happened to John McGinn. We don't have to get into that. But you're watching 
Scotland this week and there's a, a few players in there then you think you know at a certain period of their development we could have got them fairly cheap but why didn't we is it because yeah. they're Scottish yeah. and I know Roy Keane's not Scottish what I mean is we, we've tended as a club to always go for the overseas players because they seem to have this perception that they must be better and what are you left with you're left with Patrick Clamalla three and a half million pound striker who can't score goals and, and can, can rarely play games so I get that part of the argument, I really do. And you know my thoughts on Keane. You know, I'm not keen on Roy. Um, so that that would be my view. But I found it interesting today that Sky Sports ran with that story. Uh, and it wasn't like breaking news. It was one of these the, the morning shows, and I forget the name of the presenter, but he's, he's dialed in Simon Donnelly and asked Sid about it. And he's on the Boise bus. He's all up for, for Roy Keane. Um, I also read, interestingly, one of the stories in, in one of the Celtic sites. Uh, they attributed a quote to me. I'm not sure I said it, to be honest with you. I think it might have been Kev. Um, talking about the the kind of breakdown in, in the boardroom and, you know, dropping names deliberately to the likes of Axom mm-hmm. and different sites or sources and all this stuff. Um, just to, to, to show others in the boardroom that, Roy Keane's not going to be a popular decision. He's not no going to shift season tickets. What's your thoughts on that? Because as I say, I'd need to listen back, but I, I can't remember specifically saying that. I think I might have agreed with Kev, though. Uh, what's your thoughts on the tactical element of putting names out just to test the water? I think it's interesting because if that is the case that they are doing that, and it was a really fascinating point that Kev made when he said it, because again, it's just one of those angles that you don't instantly think of. Do you know what I mean? But I think if that is what Celtic's doing, that would show a real lack of conviction in whoever it is that they're going for, if they haven't engaged the moods first. I would like to think that they're, well, whoever it is, you know, King, but whoever it is that gets it, I'm hoping that they, um, they're 100% back in their own convictions on it and not, you know, testing the water to me sounds like they're not quite sure. And if they're not quite sure, then once the guy does get the gig, are they really going to back them fully? Are they going to give them their full support? If there's already, you know, grey areas or a wee bit of seeds of doubt in the, in the boardroom, maybe between a couple of them, or, you know, from the get-go, I think yeah. that's quite a worrying a worrying thought. It's interesting though as well, I mean, you're saying about Simon Donnelly, one of the other things I found really really frustrating is, you know, that Martin O'Neill's suddenly this dotty old man who knows nothing about football. Um, and, you know, he just, you know, he, he's got that little regard for Glasgow Celtic that he would just pitch his pal and to become the new manager there on base throw and nothing. I think that actually insulted him um, to someone like Martin O'Neill. You know, I think it's ridiculous. If he thinks he's good enough, believe me, I don't think he's a guy who's going to be stirring the pot for the sake of it or old pals act just to get his mate. He, he'll want what's best for Celtic as well. And if mm-hmm. he's what we can, you know, on a, we're not week in, week out, it's international, but on a regular basis... Who's more qualified to say what Keane's current current level is in terms of coaching and how he works with a modern player than Martin O'Neill? Mm-hmm. And yet it's been derided. Like, and this dinosaur term just comes out just whenever you want to use it. Um, I find that, that really frustrating. The, the big thing with O'Neill is, you know, he's held in such high esteem by Celtic fans, and rightly so, because of what he did when he came in. Uh, I mean, I, I keep going back to that post-John Barnes, Kenny Dalglish season, Russell, and the, the magnitude of the rebuild that was required back then. Yep. And what, what you needed there was, you know, someone who, and I don't think there's ever a situation where the manager has complete control over the football department. I mean, that, that never happens at any club. I think it might have happened back in the day with the likes of Shankly and Don Revy, Jockstein, um, etc. But I don't think it happens anywhere now, and it hasn't for a long time. But he certainly had um, a huge influence in terms of everything from uh, signings right down to um, the coaching side of things. And I know that Martin O'Neill wasn't your your, your uh, you know training pitch kind of manager. He left that down to John Robertson um, mm-hmm. and Steve Walford. But there, there is one thing in relation to the change that we're going to be getting just now is we need someone who has a say, a much bigger say and far more control than his pre, you know, um, predecessor in Neil Lennon because when it comes to taking a job being given uh, your coaching staff right, um, being told that we've got a list of players here you might want um, Fraser Foster but you're going to get uh, Vasilis Barkas you know, mm-hmm. you might want Ivan Tony, but you're going to get um, Albion Ayeti so we need someone who's going to have far more control not complete control but far more control um, than what Neil Lennon had and I think that 
Someone pitched up on, on Twitter this morning. I've not had time to go back to you directly, so I'll answer it just now. And they asked, what are the positives should Roy Keane come in? And, and I had a wee think about it because I'm thinking, you know, very much like yourself, I don't want to be a derisory of anyone. I don't want to be negative about anyone, Russell. So I'm thinking to myself, right, if I have to be as balanced as possible and I wake up in a week and the announcement is Roy Keane's the Celtic manager... I've got to get back. I've got to get behind them. I've backed every Celtic manager throughout my Celtic supporting life. So you're going to get back. At no point I've ever said, if A, B or C is going to be the manager of Celtic, I'll not be back. I've never ever said that. Regardless, you know, there's been certain managers you weren't as keen on, of course. But if if Roy Keane uh, is going to be Celtic's manager, I would need to think, well, what are the positives? So one of the big things, like you say there, we've been very critical throughout the season around Neil Lennon and the approach and the culture. And you think, well, what would be done differently if Roy Keane was to come in? And I think back to Dubai. I think back to Dubai, and it's one of these, you know, it's a blot in the copybook that will forever remain. You know, it's permanent ink. There's no way you're going to erase that. Mm -hmm. It's a huge part of the downfall. We were already (laughs) tumbling down that cliff, but that basically made sure we weren't coming back, Yeah, the trip to Dubai. And I don't know uh, how much truth was in the statement made by Neil Lennon when he said, I had the final say over it. Do you think, right, had that gone ahead... And it might have gone ahead because I think the decision would have been above Neil Lennon. I think it was a financial decision. I think we were so far in that we would have lost a lot of money had we pulled out of the trip um, at a very, very late stage. So, you know, we were going in any case. But had that happened, Russell, do you think the pints by the pool and all that negative press would have happened under someone like Roy Keane? Is that what he would have brought to it, that, that bit of discipline? 100%. I mean, there's just no way that happens. And the fact is, Roy Keane, I've also heard about Lennon, Mark two things like that. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I couldn't think of two people that contrast each other so much um, in terms of Roy Keane gets uh, bad press as well for turning down the Celtic job once. We've offered him at once. Don't offer him again. Roy Keane turned the job down, apparently, for the exact same reason we've criticised Neil Lennon for accepting the Celtic job. And that's because he was not having his number two picked for him. Aye. <laughs> I yep. mean, this is the strong mental side of it we were looking for from Lennon. We've all called out. And yet that's why he turned down the job and yet gets bad press for it. Mm-hmm. Spinning it, Paul, I'm telling you, I'm spinning it, mate. Yeah, you are spinning it. Yeah, I, I mean. I don't want a manager to come in and get told whether Ronnie Dyle is you know, a brilliant coach or not. I want you to come in and go, no, it's going to be Nicky Bucks. That's where I want to be there. End of story or whatever it may be, whether it's him or not. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Um, to get back to the pipes at the pool thing, that to me was just, it was a great insight into just how much the wheels had came off at that point because not only to me was the culture a wee bit wrong, and I know they're going to say it's one, but as I say, I owned a pub, right, for six years. You don't have just one, right? Nobody has one, right? There's no point. You don't go for a it's pint. Like, it's like the old Billy Conley sketch, you know, I'm going out for a pint, but the pint must be that size, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you don't go for one, right? So that that's nonsense from the start. And uh, secondly, I think as well is the lack of um, like the, the the unbelievable like unawareness of how it would look, the yeah. unashamed approach of like just lying down the sun sun lounge or drinking the pint and and using the excuse of oh it's illegal to take photos without telling us. You're, you're Celtic. Did you? This is a big deal, mate. Like there's, there's going to be photos taken of you, especially while the club's in this. What do you want to call it? I mean, many to mid-crisis at that point in, in, in the league campaign. You were going to get a lot of attention. And I just think, firstly, the unprofessionalism of it's one thing. But secondly, just that unawareness on, you know, Lennon's part of every idea it was. And to be sitting doing that was just was baffling. And anyone thinking that Keane would be doing the same thing next January is kidding themselves on. Just not a chance. 
We'll be talking about Scott Brown uh, throughout the, the broadcast today yeah. anyway, Russell, but do you think that was damaging on Bruni? Is that something? I mean, we remember the, the pictures of him um, indulging in a wee kebab after a few mm-hmm. share bits one night uh, during the Ronnie Dyla period. But do you think, you know, that image of Bruni, you know, indulging uh, in a, a pint or two with Lenny, is that something that, uh, you know, has that done him any favours when you think about the fact that we're looking at Scott Brown in an Aberdeen jersey next year? And mm-hmm. I never thought, I never thought we'd see the day. Never thought we'd no, see the day. I agree. I think I think it kind of encapsulates to where Brown was under Rogers and just like it's just another wee little example of even someone like Scott Brown, who you know day to day when they're at when they're at uh, Lennox Town or that is obviously, you know, the role model professional. I get that. You just can't picture him doing that under Rogers. And I know before people say there was photos of them all having a drink in Dubai under Rogers. I think it was a ten day uh, stay they had then in the middle of the January uh, Christmas break, the January winter uh, window when, it, when the football had shut for three weeks or whatever. Completely mm-hmm. different. We were there for four days to get back to football. Um, so there was a big difference with that. And I just wonder if maybe even Scott Brown's standards had slightly slipped under you know, the, the stewardship that they had, maybe un, unintentionally. Uh, with regards to them going to Aberdeen, I couldn't agree more. I think when we see him in the shot, even seeing him at the training ground with Aberdeen Crest, like on the, on the training ground behind him, it just all felt really, really un, uneasy on the eye. And I think when you see him in the red strip, it'll hit home like, but, mm. you know, you wonder what his reasoning is for it. Um, perhaps the, the inner competitive spirit in him just tells him that he wants to, now I can still play 38 games in the league and they're going to give me that for two years. That's all I, wa- I, wa- I want to play. And if that's the case, as you see with so many ex-professionals, play as long as you can. They all say it, you know, because it's the best years of your life. So, from that point of view, it may well have been that it's easy to give Celtic criticism for not doing enough to keep Brown, but maybe Celtic have got to be realistic and say, we're going in a new way, you're only going to be playing 15, 20 games, we would love to keep you, but if you're on if you're only playing 15 to 20 matches, your wages are going to need to drop substantially. And what are you after? And if he says, if my wages are going to drop, I want to be playing every week, you know, that would be my sort of compromise. And Aberdeen are going to throw in some coaching there with the first team as well. It may well be that it's Brown that's driven this decision mm. um, from that from that sporting side of it. You know, when I seen the announcement, there was a, a few rumours kicking around, and then the Stephen Glass connection. They were, you know, teammates at Easter Road, and when I seen the connection, I instantly thought of Craig Gordon. I instantly thought of the situation Craig Gordon was in, you know, this time last Very year. Good. And Very we had good. we had Gary Locke in here a couple of weeks ago for a completely different show, and we're just chatting away. And he was talking about Craig Gordon. And Gary had asked Craig Gordon why he left Celtic because, by all accounts, the deals were very similar, if not exactly the same, that were being offered Mm -hmm. by both clubs. And he basically said because Hearts wanted him. So he was getting offered a deal at Celtic, but it would have been, like you say, back up. You would have been kind of, you know, uh, at grass. You're winding your career down. No promise of the coaching side of things. And maybe Scott Brown was in the same scenario. Now, in terms of the finances, I, I absolutely take your point. I'm pretty sure Scott Brown's fairly well off, having obviously uh, been one of the top earners for a number of years, and rightly so at Celtic, and also yep. with the, the testimonial as well. Um, but, you know, I think his ambition would have been along the coaching side, and he wasn't going to be given that as a promise or as part of his new role, then you know, Aberdeen offer him it and he's gone. I just think back particularly to that time where the ball was booted against him after he was scythed down up at Petordre and he gets up and he does that wee shuffle. I call it the Calazzoni shuffle. I'm not sure what it is. And it's one of the moments in Scott Brown's career that you're thinking to yourself, they all hate you, Scott. They all hate you up there. The players, the fans. Yeah, he's just laughing and he's giving it this this wee kind of swagger. Roll now, up the shots. <laughs> now, now he's playing for them, you know. No. But um, I, I think that it's going to be a difficult watch for Celtic fans to see him in the Red Aberdeen. But it begs all the questions: Who's replacing him in terms of a player? Who's replacing him as a captain? And that that brings in the the highlight or the or the headline rather: Can Celtic keep higher? to lead us into the new era. I was reading just the other day, Brennan Rogers says that uh, Callum McGregor is the natural successor in terms of a Celtic captain. Um, 
I don't think we can afford to lose Chris Sire. Now, I know there's loads of people out there who tell me he can't jump, he can't win a header, and they'll show me all the examples, and I totally agree with that, but I think he brings a lot to the Celtic side, Russell. And I think, you know, if the £8 million reported fee that Newcastle um, are willing to pay for him is to be uh, believed, then we really can't allow him to go at that price. No, absolutely not. And I think, you know, Again, what I've said before, I'll stand by whoever the new manager is. See if they come out and you know at the beginning of their tenure and they tell us, look, Eddie and Chris Iyer are leaving. We offered them the best deal that we could possibly offer them. We told them, you know, that how important they were going to be. They didn't want to stay. See for me, that'd be a good start, you know, because that would be at least Celtics doing everything in their power to keep these guys. Secondly. What is it these players are getting told these days by Celtic when they're joining? If Newcastle becomes a viable option for you to leave Celtic as a mainstay, Newcastle United run by Mike Ashley that are in free fall with Steve Bruce in charge, if that remotely appealed to Chris Iyer, then that tells me that it's, we're, we're selling Celtic completely wrong now to players. And it's all about join us for two years, the EPL lights will shine on and you'll get your move. Um, it should be an unrealistic conversation. And that's why we need guys, whoever it's going to be the manager, who start talking Celtic up to what Celtic's capable of being and start reminding the players, this is the biggest club you'll play for probably. This is an honour for you to do it. Russell, you know? during, during the season, you brought that up and I thought it was an excellent point. Um, where you were comparing Celtic and Rangers and you were comparing how they are sold to the respective signings and how when Celtic are being sold to these young players like Edouard and Dembele and even Chris Iyer, I guess, when he was younger, it's being sold in such a respect that we'll get, we'll get you to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Whereas I felt... Uh, having heard you saying this during the season that you were right, you were saying that Rangers' policy was this is where you want to be. You know, and and you do get a completely different take on it. So when you've got half a dozen, seven, eight players even who are at a club like Celtic who are just basically using us as a stepping stone and we're using them as well because we're using them to make money, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, we've got a relationship with these guys that we're both of the understanding that we're both using each other. But then if there is mutiny in the camp and four or five of them down tools, mm-hmm. it's more likely to happen in the environment that Celtic have created. And I think that was the point you made during the season. And this season showed you how that can unravel spectacularly. So I totally agree with you. We need to change our tact when we're bringing in these guys from wherever uh, they're going to be coming in from after this season because obviously yep. the whole landscape's going to change when it comes yep. to, to overseas signing. So I think it was a great point. It's not one that's been brought up that often, but I think um, the proof is in the pudding, as they say. Um, Scott Brown's going to leave. I, I've already said I would have Chris Iyer as my captain. See, just on the, on the whole money, both ways, sort of like, well, you'll get your move and we'll make money on it. For me, if we've got guys that are dedicated to the cause, we'll make more money that way because they'll get us in the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the difference. See this making money nonsense? These guys that are meant to be you know, going to these big clubs or whatever, how often have they got us in the Champions League in the last decade? Not Correct. often. No, you're right. Not often. And do they get it? Do they care? If they've got one eye in the Premier League, whereas again, if they're playing for the biggest club they can play for is Celtic, they're like, that's the Holy Grail. Get to the Champions League with this club. You know, like, I think that's what you would make. The business model would actually be a lot more beneficial if they, if they took that approach. So, so I just wanted to add that in as well, because if it's about making money, it's flawed as well. No, you're right, and, and flip it, because if you think, well, what did we actually make on Van Dyke? We probably made, um, I think, £10 million on the original the original deal, and then the, the sell-on, Dembele, £20 million plus the sell-on, Frimpong, I think it was after the, the sell-on to um, Man City, it was something like 7 or £8 million. Quid. So as you say, you make your progress into the, the group stages instead, and you're making £30 million, so, yeah. and that's season on season. Um, so yeah, I think the whole the whole, whole outlook is going to change. I said at the weekend there, we had a, a, a bulletin with Colin and Kevin, and I said that what I would prefer to see between now and the end of the season, with the Scottish Cup games included, is we know that Scott Brown's going. Let's not get over-sentimental about this. Let's start playing Sorrel. What's, what's your yeah. thoughts on that? I think it's a fair point. Um, we have to be looking at the future. I don't know what's happened in terms of Sorrow falling out the... Uh, Falling out the equation, I don't think his form had dipped to 
and a biz, you know, on a level where he, he was warranting coming out. I think I still think he is a bit raw. I think he always worries me that he's going to pick up an early booking and he might pick up a second one. But he needs more experience though to sort of you know become a more rounded player, and you can only get that by playing games now. For me, you're absolutely right. We can't be playing Scott Brown for sentiment, sentimental reasons because it's his final hurrah. Um, Celtic bigger than anyone, one player, even though Scott Brown's contribution, I'm in no doubt about and absolutely love him. Um, but I certainly think Sorrow now is getting, you know, there's a perfect opportunity now to be playing the, the final six games um, with him and that team and get him right up to speed because, as Tony always says, 80 days, <laughs> 80 days for the Champions League qualifier. We can't do that with 11 new guys. It's going to need to be with some of the some of the players that are there. And a lot of the ones we're expecting to leave are currently in the first team. So that you're going to need to kind of get, get used to playing the ones that maybe aren't in the first team as much. Get them in the side because they're going to be the ones that we're going to need for that 30 million jackpot um, at the end of the summer. No, you're right. And um, again... Other replacements, other players coming in. Uh, we all know that we've tried. We have tried in the past to bring in players who apparently were going to succeed Scott Brown in that role. It's not really worked out for the likes mm. of Ibu Kouassi, for example. Um, I've seen the name of Lewis Ferguson linked to Celtic. Whilst one of our players has gone up to Pataudry, can you see him coming to Celtic Park? Definitely. I definitely could see that happening. I think... Um on Go Radio, I've heard Barry Ferguson talk about it on a few occasions he's been asked about it and he has he's never been so against it. He's actually said himself he could see that happening. He thinks that if, if Lewis Ferguson was to leave Aberdeen, he might actually be out of Rangers price range. Obviously, that all that could all change if they're, if they're making Champions Leagues and things, but I think certainly it would be within Celtic's financial reach. Um, he's, he's the exact type of player you were just talking about at the start of the show. Um, he's young, he knows the league inside out, he has got bags of ability for me, and he's got that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. He's got a bit of he's got a bit of nastiness about him, I think, as well. Not like over nastiness, but he's got a bit of a streak to him. Um, and I certainly think we, as I've said in, on on Twitter and things, we're we should have been so far out of sight, right? Fair enough, but we're not. We're in the trenches, and it's it's going to be a, a Paul Hartley, Barry Robson job, I think, next year. You know, in midfield, it's going to be sleeves rolled up, and we're going to need to try and wrestle the title back and. You know, it'd be pretty sweet if it was Lewis Ferguson doing a Celtic shirt as well. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, it would. Now, um, we do have a special guest waiting in the wings. We're going to bring in John Trainer in just a moment, the Bard of Paradise, he could be called. Uh, we hope that, you know, from time to time, Kevin Graham adds a bit of culture to a Celtic state of mind with his poetry. Uh, Russell, not heard it, uh, from Kevin in terms of poetry for a while, but we do have uh, John Trainer, uh, who's waiting in the wings. He wrote a book called A Paradise Anthology. And back in December, when Axon were doing our fundraising um, for various charities, uh, John kindly sent us a couple of books. And we used them as part of the uh, auction and you know, two books raised between fifty and sixty pounds for the total price, which uh, the, the total funds raised, which was roughly twenty seven thousand quid, that we were able to then um, give out to four different charities. So John's going to join yeah. us. Ah, brilliant! It was a great experience. John's going to join us for the remainder of the show. We're going to talk about Celtic. We're going to talk about his books, and we're also going to talk about um, what he's doing in terms of his fundraising endeavours. So, John Trainer, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? Hi Paul, thanks for having me on, I'm good. 
It's an absolute pleasure. But as I say, everybody at Celtic State of Mind was delighted when you got involved and helped us to raise some money uh, for much-needed causes, you know, at Christmas time, during the pandemic and everything else. Um, when uh, I looked at the book, it was it was a beautiful, beautifully crafted book, so a book I've got to say, because there was a lot of illustrations in it as well, John. So talk to us about your concept. How did you put all this together? Well, <clears throat> to be honest, Paul, it has, it has been kind of 30, 40 years in the making, although it only came together in the past year or so. Uh, I'd, I began writing the poems just uh, as a bit of fun, really, a pastime, something I enjoyed doing. And they accumulated, but they were lying about in bits of paper here, writing pads there, computer files all over the place. And uh, I'm not exactly a computer whiz kid, and it took me ages eventually to start pulling them together. It was my son Paul that prompted me to do it. Uh, he said uh, when, the, when the lockdown came in about a year or so ago, something to do, why don't you finally get that together? So I rummaged about, found bits of the paper and threw all the old laptops and that and found this and that and put it all together bit by bit. We did it, Paul and I, together and uh, with a couple of pals, my cousin Tony Griffin, my pal Alec Bain from Glasgow, who did some of the illustrations. And uh, it was really just to get it there for posterity more than anything else. It was never really a commercial venture. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, once it came together, we, Paul and I agreed, we thought it looked quite good. And uh, we put it out to a couple of people to see if they'd be interested in conventional publishing to get it going. But uh, no takers. And I, I kind of understand that because poetry and that kind of stuff doesn't float everybody's boat. But uh, it's part of the Celtic tradition. Over the years, we've got a fantastic tradition of literature, music, uh, that dates back even beyond Celtic mm-hmm. to the days when it was uh, society relied on balladeers and shinnikes and people like that to, to to basically tell them the news. Now, it wasn't always, maybe always the truth. Uh, some of it would be propaganda and fake news and all the rest of it, the way you get it now, but, but you got it then too. But it didn't matter. That, that, was, that was what happened, and, and it became very, very important in people's lives. And uh, that that was the idea behind it. That there have been fantastic range of books. I mean, my bookshelves are groaning with Celtic books. It goes right back to Wally Maley and uh, Brother Claire, James Hanley, right through uh, when Brian Wilson weighs history, David Potter, all these people, and more latterly Liam Kelly. Uh, uh, you know, all the, all these people that, that that do it, and they do it. Tremendously well, mm-hmm. but it occurred to me I'd never really seen a book that was poetry based and uh, story based, and we decided to give it a go. But as nobody wanted to publish it, we thought, well, we'll do it ourselves by the the magic of modern technology, mm-hmm. print to order and stuff like that. I could do it without remortgaging the house. So that's basically what we did, and we went on to the, the Lulu website which is an online bookstore and put it together bit by bit, loaded it up and set it free but really all I was doing was I ordered some books for myself because I wanted to give them to friends, family people like that and uh, just see what happened and it it ticks over, it sells a book here and there but I was never really that bored about it and then a friend of mine who I gave one of the first books to, John McCurdy from Shorts, uh, it was him who came up with the concept of maybe offering it to the foundation for fundraising, and I was quite happy to do that, more than happy. I've done that with a couple of books before. Um, so he sent off a couple of books, and we waited to see what would happen. He sent, he sent them to Celtic Park, the foundation. And I'll tell you a kind of funny story. One Saturday morning, a few weeks ago, I was just potting around, a cup of coffee, trying to get into the day, and the phone went, hello, uh, is that John? Yes, it's John. I how you doing? He says, this is Dominic Mackay. And I thought, I don't know a Dominic Mackay. <laughs> Dominic Mackay. Then the penny dropped. I said, Dominic Mackay. how you doing, Dominic, you know? And he said, aye, great, we've got this book. John McCurdy sent me a book, and 
oh, looks great. So I just wanted to say thanks for saying just a wee brief, polite conversation. Because I thought it spoke volumes for the man. You know, he, he took the trouble to do that. And uh, that was it. Bye. See you. And a few days later, Tony Hamilton from the foundation phoned as well. And I, I know Tony of old, not well, but a pass have crossed through things I've done over the years. And he said he would like to do something and pass it on to his people and just roll for there. So it was launched on Friday and the proceeds will go to the foundation, whatever they may be, whether it's 20 quid or 20,000 quid, it will go to the foundation. And I'm delighted to do that. So that's brilliant. That, that's basically the background to it. But you can knock me down with a feather when I realised it would be Dominic Mackay in the phone, you know. <laughs> I think that says. I think that says a lot. How positive that is, um, you know. When we've been talking all season, Russell, about the lack of engagement by the club when, when the incoming yeah. CEO phones you at home, John. I think that's tremendous, and uh, sure, you know, sure are, yeah. And I, you know, I think it bodes well for the future. I really do. I think that bodes well for the future because there's a lot of Celtic fans seem a wee bit kind of disenchanted at the moment with the club. I think a big yeah. part of that is down to the fact that we can't go to Celtic Park, obviously. Yeah. Um, so that's brilliant. That's outstanding to hear. And it's great that you've got that link up with the foundation. Yeah. I mean, as I say, yourself and your son very kindly sent us a couple of books back in December um, and that contributed to our own uh, charity endeavours but you're no stranger to writing because you've written no. a few Celtic books over the years John haven't you tell us a wee no, bit about well the, the first one <coughs> the first one was uh, uh, in conjunction with my cousin Tony Griffin a wee bit of atonement for not being in Lisbon to be honest you know I, I didn't manage to get to Lisbon, didn't get to Milan either, unfortunately. But still, I thought, well, at least if we do this, we're part of it. So we got together and we, we wrote a book called A Season in the Sun, which was a, a little book, and uh, but it eventually sold quite well. That was one which I did publish myself uh, and to take the, the, the risk in doing that, but it paid off. We sold the books and everything went well. But it uh, it was... It was fantastic doing that. But at that time, as well as, as doing that, I was working with a publishing company myself, and they developed some links uh, with Celtic and some other clubs to do stuff. And one of them was a trophy room book. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever came across it at all. It was called The Glory of the Green. Yep. And uh, we, we did that. My, a colleague and myself from... Uh, Homes with Google Publishing at the time. And we had a great day, we had a fantastic that day, that day. You wouldn't believe it. This is how naive everyone was in those days too at Celtic Park. We drove up the early hours of the morning, me, my mate, a photographer called Michael Siebert, a German guy, and uh, basically chapped the door and a security man came out and we told him who we were and he said, oh, that's fine, yeah, come in. Took us in, led us to the, the trophy room, all the different venues, and then he went away. He just disappeared, gave us the keys to the cabinet, and disappeared. And we were sitting there, pulling out the Coronation Cup, setting up, taking a photo, and then I'm sitting, I thought, oh, I'm going to get some photos of myself here. So I sat down in the Coronation Cup here, uh, St Mungo Cup there, something between my feet getting photos in, and I thought, this is unbelievable, you know, how could you, that could never happen now. We, we, could have, we could have wheeled a lorry up to the, the back door and just put stuff in. I'm sitting, I'm sitting there with Charlie, <laughs> T Charlie Tully's ring on my finger, getting my photo in and that, you know, I thought I could walk out with this ring on my finger. Who's going to know anyway, you know? Obviously I didn't, but it, it, was, a, it was a tremendous experience to do that, and the book was well received, it's, it's quite, quite. Uh, it was quite something to do. But a, a funny story about that. While we were doing it, we we're walking around, looking at all the cabinets, saying, "We'll put that in. We'll put this in." And this guy comes walking around the corner, Terry Cassidy. Hmm? What are you doing here? And we explained to him. You know, he didn't seem to know. It was it was Matt. It was uh, Jack McGinn that had arranged it. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, "I didn't know anything about this." I said, well, I'm very sorry, Mr. Cassidy, but it's all above board. You know, we're legit, we're doing it. Just speak to Mr. McGinn. Mm-hmm, I will. Uh, and he said, what, what, what are you doing there? What is it you're doing right now? I said, we're deciding what to put in the book. 
He said, yeah, I hope you're going to put everything in. I said, well, come on, we can't put everything in. You know, there's thousands of things, ashtrays and this and that. We're picking the best stuff. But he wasn't very happy about it at all. The fact that he didn't know, but he just turned and walked away and left us to go on with it. But he was very gruff. He, it's, it was a totally different experience for the Dominic Mackay one, you know? Absolutely. Uh, totally different. But anyway, it, it, it went well, and one of them led, one led to another, mm-hmm. and I did a wee condensed history of Celtic, not in the same vein as the, the real proper history. It's just a, a potted history. Did that, and some an all-stars book and I got involved two or three years ago with uh, doing a, In the Heat of Lisbon I don't know if you saw that when it came out and it turned out it was a it was a two-part book the first part of it was Tony and my old book A Season in the Sun yeah and then, and then a guy Mike Marr from Australia wrote the second part, part about the fans going to Lisbon mm-hmm. and it it was lumped together it became in the heat of Lisbon and uh, again did, did reasonably well so yeah. I, I've I've, not, I've I've had a potted history with it but I've enjoyed it thoroughly enjoyed it labour of love really you know absolutely but, brilliant uh, and uh, it, did, it did it did pretty well Around, around about the 50th anniversary of Lisbon that's um, exactly that's what it was for it was for the yeah. 50th anniversary of Lisbon yeah I remember uh, it John but the, there was some great the, the wee book originally The Season in the Sun that became a table piece on the 25th anniversary of Lisbon Lions dinner in Glasgow right right uh, I took a table at that dinner and various other people Wally Hockey arranged it and it was through Wally Wally I went and saw him and he bought something like 600 books so that everybody at the do got one on their, their table so that was a wee bit of a thrill too and Sitting there, and the lines were just on the right hand side on the stage. It was it was great fun. It was a great night, yeah, brilliant night. Now you were spoken about uh, the Lisbon Lions, as you say, John. We're mm-hmm. now at a very, uh, very much a kind of turning point now, um, mm-hmm. at a crossroads uh, with Celtic. How do you mm-hmm. see it going? I mean, what you've told us already today has been very positive about uh, Dominic Mackay. Yes. Um, a big rebuild this summer, John. I mean, do you think Celtic can wrestle that title back from Rangers immediately? It's going to be a big task to do it, but I'd like to think we can do it. You know, it's going to be all about how, as you say, the, the word is positivity. That's what we need. We need to get. Uh, sorry, I forget your colleague's name. Russell. Russell. Russell was talking about getting some steel in the midfield, and I think that's with Bruni being away. We're definitely going to need that. Mm-hmm. But if the recruitment's right, and we get the right man in the chair, and at this point in time, we've not got a clue who it's going to be. I don't see why we shouldn't. But having said that, it won't be easy. It won't be easy because uh, this season that's uh, oh, still going on, I was going to say just past, it's still on. It's been the most disappointing season in my life, supporting Celtic, you know. It really has, and I've seen some ups and downs. But the expectations were so high, it wasn't a presumption that we were going to do it. But we were confident that we were going to put up a real good show, and it just came to nothing. It mm. just... It just died on its feet away back in November and it, it never picked up for there. And you kept thinking, if we do this, if we do that, but nothing, it all, it all turned to sand. And whoever comes in now is going to have a big job to do it. But I think if the attitude is the same as Dominic Mackay showed and, and phoning me at home on a Saturday morning, there's a chance we could do it. You know, it's all about the right people, the right players. I heard you talking earlier about. Uh, uh, Barry Ferguson's nephew is it from Lewis Ferguson yeah I've seen him playing and he, he's, it's hard to imagine uh, Barry's nephew playing for Celtic but he'd be more than welcome if he comes he'll be like he'll be like Bruni and Kenny Dalgleish and all the other ones before him Bertie Peacock going away back you know it's no barrier to being a hero at Celtic Park being Barry Fer- Ferguson's nephew if he comes and does a job He'll just be a superstar Celtic player as far as we're concerned. Great, great shout. That's what no. it's all about. No, you're right, John. Um, you know the diversity of Celtic is is well known. Um, you've told you've told us about your book, uh, and you sent me a link via email. So thanks very much for that. Where can we find that? How can we support the foundation by buying your book? Well, uh, uh, by going to that link, it'll take you straight to the page. 
Mm-hmm. Where, it, where it's on and it's a, a simple matter just load it into the cart we go buy it you should get it within 7 to 10 days and uh, that's it the, the the profit from it just goes directly to the foundation so I, I don't know how you could let people know the link or how that can be done but I, I could send the link again is it anywhere that you want me to send it it's a direct link straight to the page you don't need to go on and footer about and put titles in and things that link I sent to you goes straight to the book great and, well, uh, I'll, I'll share that John I'll share that on all our social uh, media pages and under, underneath this video as well fantastic um, and you know it's been an absolute pleasure hopefully you can come back on the show again uh, and we'll definitely do it again John it's been great chatting to you and thanks for sharing um, that wee story about Dominic Mackay gives us a wee bit more posit- positivity no. moving into this this pre-season John yeah. Well, I thought that would be something that you would appreciate. I certainly certainly appreciate it. It made my tea taste a wee bit better. You You take care of yourself, John. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Russell, that was tremendous to hear how already, already, um, you know, Dominic Mackay is getting in touch with Celtic fans in his spare time. Yeah, it was great. Great to hear. I think um, Kev was talking over the other week about Celtic getting back to their the roots and all that, do you know what I mean? And obviously when it's something that's, I don't know what the influence has been, that it's all suddenly became a couple of days later the foundation, then we're going to get all the all the profits from it and that as well. You wonder if it is, you know, a sign of Celtic trying to connect more with the with the fan base again, which is what we've always wanted, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's been, we've been banging that drum a lot this season. So I definitely a positive sign that, you know, right from the horse's mouth as well, you know, Dominic McKay, you know, being the dive, not, on behalf of, but actually being Dominic McKay, and bear in mind, he's not even started his job yet, apparently. Well, that was a big thing, wasn't it? Uh, the SRU came out and said that, you know, he won't be leaving until uh, such time, etc. And then Dermot Desmond comes out and says, well, you know, Dominic Mackay's part of the process of yep. us finding a director of football, etc. So that was tremendous to hear that from John. He hadn't mentioned that in his email. So that's brilliant, John. Thanks for sharing that story with us. And we will share the link underneath this video once uh, we're finished the bulletin as well for his book and all across the social media channels. A few other things to talk about, though, Russell. I'm keeping an eye on the comments. I appreciate we haven't had um, any of the comments up just yet, but I will bring them up. International football is upon us. It's not every, everybody's bag. I think um, sometimes, you know, when you've not been in a, a major tournament finals for 23 years you can lose a wee bit of interest so I think it's understandable but I watched the game last night we, we had the uh, the pre-match the halftime and the post-match last night on the channel and to be honest with you I thought the Scotland sign was a wee bit uninspiring Russell um, and what I took from that is for me I think Stevie Clark's the right man for the Scotland job but he's not the right man for the Celtic job what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that is probably the, the, the truth. I think that I, I don't rule him out becoming the next Celtic manager, though still I don't know why, but I, I'm not, I wouldn't completely rule it out happening. But the only thing I would say in, in, in his defence, I, I like the fact that at half-time he identified that things weren't going right and made the necessary changes. Um, a certain Jack Henry was hooked and uh, he changed the, the formation as well. So I thought, you know, these are the sort of big calls I suppose that you really need your managers to be making. If it's not going right, why is there always that token 15 minutes after half-time? Noise me. <laughs> Why do we wait to 60 minutes? Just mm-hmm. get on with it. If it needs to be changed at half-time, just get it done. Um, but I, I mean, I thought that first half in particular was, uh, it was chronic. Wasn't it? And I mean, I think like you say, when you're trying to you're trying to force your interest levels a wee bit, I think, at times international football um, and displays like that first half don't help. No, I mean, again, international football, and I've been criticised on on Axon uh, through the comments saying that you should support Scotland, etc. I don't think that it's uh, a surprise that a lot of people lost touch with international football because of you know, the fact that Scotland were dreadful for a long, long time. Uh, we were not uh, qualifying for the finals of tournaments. I mean, time and time again, you're looking at the finals. Who are you supporting? You know, do you support Wales when they went on a run? Oh, we support Republic of Ireland when they get to the the finals as well. So let's talk about the Republic. And you know, I did mention the fact that they're going through a sticky patch. But interestingly enough, Russell, in the under twenty ones other night. Um, Luke O'Connell, Jonathan Afolabi and Leo Connor, who captained the side, all started for the Republic of Ireland under-21s. And it does beg the question about some of the youth players that we've got at our disposal and whether or not they're being utilised properly. I mean, Leo Connor, 
He's a fullback. We, we've, there's a dearth of fullbacks at the moment at Celtic Park. Are we going to pull some of these young guys back in, reassess them, see if they can do a turn for Celtic? You'd like to think so. Um, I wonder as well, with obviously the pre-contract, I think is Liam Shaw that's been signed from Sheffield Wednesday. I think that's his name. Um, as well, and you think of the, the Luke O'Connell one, he was actually, I think it was 17 appearances he'd made for Bolton. Um, the, you know, the, and it was the end of that season that he joined us. You know, in the first team that is, in the cha- at championship level. Um, and you start thinking, you know, was that maybe when, maybe with obviously the Brexit stuff, there has been a bit of foresight there. And we are trying to bring in the sort of best of British, if you like, uh, or or the best of British we can attract, in fairness. Um, because we're going to need more of a nucleus of that, you know, of people of British and Irish descent in the side. I would like to think that the guys that have been identified all get identified on the basis that they have a chance. Mm-hmm. But I also am concerned uh, that the way that the development path seems to sort of go. Um, I think you only need to look at Welsh, for example, being. I mean, I know he started a lot of games recently, but I mean, he was thrown in an old fun game um, for his, his second appearance, I think it might have been. But I mean, it was a bolt out the blue. Um, I think he played the next game and then he was out of the squad mm-hmm. four, five, six weeks. And you start wondering, you know, is there, is there a real, is there a path that's getting set out to them that they should be following? Do they all just end up going out on loan? Is that the best thing for them? I'm not sure. Um I noticed we've done a couple of loan deals uh, the past couple of weeks as well. I think Luca Connell's went to Queen's Park, is that right? Yeah. Is that League 2? Yeah, top of League 2. Top of League 2. Is that really, I mean, I know know Queen's Park are ambitious and I know what you said, they wanted to be the third best club in Scotland and things like that. But is League 2 football really, was was there not more opportunities perhaps in the January window? Is that what the January window is for? If it was apparent Luca Connell wasn't going to get in the team to be sort of trying to use your contacts down south and maybe get a higher level for him to be competing at because he already, as I said, has English Championship experience. Um, it's one heck of a drop to League Two. And again, I don't know what that does if it's maybe a grinding exercise to try and get their, you know, good for the good for the soul. <laughs> I don't know if it's one of those where, you know, get them to these strange uh, stadiums and or if you can call them that and get them booted about and toughen them up a bit. I'm not sure. Um, but I certainly think it's one heck of a drop from being Bolton first team two and a half years ago as a as a you know seventeen eighteen year old mm-hmm. to being twenty twenty one and twenty I think twenty years old and being at League Two Scotland against part time sides you know it's I'm not that's the sure point that his career that's the point Jim Orr made. I think it was a couple of weeks ago Russell um, where by yeah you want them to develop you want them to play. But you've got to be very careful as to where they play. I mean, this is a young guy, as you say, 17-year-old when he made his debut for Bolton Wanderers. Uh, When Celtic got him, there was interest from Tottenham Hotspur. Tottenham Hotspur were looking at him. Um, He's a a player who was touted to be an international for the Republic of Ireland. Leo Connor, we already know, has played for the Republic of Ireland. But they're playing for the under-21s. And I think what Celtic need to do, I look at some of the the deals we've done in the past. Remember when Willie McStay was at Ujpest Dosha in in Hungary? And we had some kind of tie-in whereby we were able to send over young players over there to get Mm -hmm. first-team experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's maybe been some unofficial kind of tie-ins over the years. But I just think you need to have these partnerships with clubs whereby, you know, it might well be that the partnership develops because one of your ex-managers or players is at that club. So I always thought when Ronnie Dyla went back to Norway, it would have been good to have a tie-in with Ronnie and, you know, every season send over three young guys who aren't going to be playing yet for the Celtic first team, but they need to get first team football. And obviously, it would need to be agreed upon and it would need to benefit the team that they're going to. But I do think we're missing a trick there. So rather than it being so random, Russell, whereby, as you say, you know, you look at our list of loanees and they're all over the place. They get loaned out here, there and everywhere. Sometimes that works by design, uh, Chris Iyer to, to Kilmarnock, or yep. by sheer luck, because I think McGregor to Notts County was just luck. Celtic it didn't look as though he was going to have a future at Celtic. Neil Lennon didn't fancy him. You know, Lennon famously never played Callum McGregor until Lennon's second tenure at Celtic Park. He never That's played right. him a single game. He made his debut at 21 under mm-hmm. Ronnie Dyler, you know. And as we've said a couple of times on the podcast, there was a an offer that came in from Carlisle 
and Celtic, yep. you know, very nearly sold him for a nominal fee when, you know, the one of the Notts County deals was up. Uh, so I, I think it can work in your favour. It can work ju- just through sheer chance, Ryan Christie again. You know, I don't think anyone expected him to come back and make an impact at Celtic. Um, even though Colin Watts, not his biggest fan, he's obviously made an impact since he came back from Aberdeen. So oh, it would be good. It. He knows it as well. I think so. <laughs> I know. Um, it would be good to have these partnerships with clubs at a certain yeah. level where you can put three or four young guys out. Uh, now we've had Danny Lennon in here. Obviously, they've taken on uh, the young kid uh, O2 who's a left-back and he's coming from Celtic and he's playing for Clyde. I think he's played two games. He got the man of the match in the first game, Russell. So, you know, there is a level that they can play and they can perform. And a lot of the players that I've I've spoken to who came through the reserve leagues, if you like, they said that was pivotal in their own development because they learn so much from these old grizzly pros that they're playing against. Yeah. And it might well be that, you know, it's not the most fashionable league in the world, yeah, going down to the level four of the Scottish football pyramid. But surely, surely it's better than no playing at all. No, I take that point. I really do. But the, I think, as I say, it seemed to me like, you know, the January window should really have been when, if we think it's going to be beneficial for him to be playing football, why does it need to be a case of well, it's better than nothing. It's better than I'm not playing. I don't. I think the question has to be getting addressed earlier. Um, whereas, if, you know, look at Collins went to Queens Park at the beginning of March, end of February. I mean, it's you know, it seems so late on in the season as well that was he on the cusp of the first team? It didn't seem that way either. So, what is the decision making process there? Do you know what I mean? Now, Russell, I'm bringing this up for two reasons. To say hello to Stephen James, I hope you're well. Stephen, you're commenting on Twitter via Periscope. Simon Donnelly thinks Keno and Bot would be the perfect fit for Celtic. Where did that Keno and Bot rumour come from? Who knows? Um, but we are getting a lot, we're getting a lot of these uh, comments coming in. Charles Townley, and I'm joining this conversation late. Uh, Roger Miller of Cameroon was 67. Was he as young as that? This, this is the thing with, with Scott Brown. Uh, we had this wee chat before we came on. Scott Brown obviously is at that stage of his career where you're thinking he's winding down. But modern football has changed so, so much in that respect. I mean, we've got Messi, Ronaldo, Zlatan, they're playing well into their 30s. I mean, Zlatan Ibrahimovic is 39. You see him the other night, you know, he looks like at the top of his game. Uh, We've we've got a tendency, I think, once you get to that 32-year-old to think, right, you're finished. Um, do you think do you think Bruni could still, you know, perform well for for Aberdeen for another couple of years? Because I mean, certainly, I, I know obviously kebab gate aside and a couple of pints by the pool is not going to do much damage. But yeah, I mean, he certainly looks fit enough. Definitely, I don't think there's any doubt that there's going to be moments. It's a guarantee there's going to be podcasts from you know during next season saying, "Can you believe we let Bruni go? Look at him! Do you know what I mean? He just won Player of the Month or something like that." You can see it. Um, I think he's going to go there and make a huge impact in the first team. Um, I appreciate the coaching side job, Susanna, he's going to be passionate about as well, but I think he's going there to play. And I think you're absolutely right. It's so easy just to say players have, you know, always lost his legs. It's just laziness, those arguments. You know, tell me why he's not playing well. What was it? What aspect of his game did he not play well? What, what, what was it? Stray passes or was he out of position for a goal? Instead, it's just once they get past that 33 mark, you're absolutely right, Paul. They just start saying, uh, off, you know, lost his legs, passed it, has been. It's just, it's just lazy, uh, lazy sort of analysis. Eh? I think the big thing this season, because you know, when I'm watching Celtic now, obviously you're at the game, you enjoy the game. You're, you're not being so analytical, but sure. because we've been covering the games on match day this season, you're actually sitting there taking notes, you're making observations, mm. so that you're, there's conversation pieces there. Uh, and the big thing for me this season comes right down to the fact that he was mismanaged. He should never have been playing three games a week. He was. I mean, every time he was fit, he was getting a game. And I think that was the biggest problem this season. I mean, we've seen some excellent performances. I mean, I thought he was one of our better players in the game against Rangers the other week there. I thought his first half performance against Milan was absolutely tremendous. I mean, he bossed it. But then I've seen other games where it does look as though he's a bit jaded. But I reckon that's down to the fact that he's been mismanaged this season, Russell. And I've said it on the podcast before, and, you know, I stand by this. I just think with the level of change we're going through, not just the personnel, because we reckon it could be upwards of 12, 15 players out the door, not all first-team regulars. You're losing a CEO. 
great story from from John about the incoming Dominic Mackay. You're losing a, a head of recruitment in Nicky Hammond. He's on his yep. way out. You've lost your manager. You're losing your captain. So there's four pivotal members of the football department, right? And they're all going. And that's why I felt, you know, it would have been wise to keep Bruni for another season. That that was my thinking behind it. So I think, you know, the, the opportunities that that's maybe going to give people like Sorrow uh, and any new signings that we bring in, you've already mentioned uh, Lewis Ferguson. That's great. Uh, but I don't think we'll be able to uh, to wash Bruno out of hair as, as quickly as one pre-season. I mean, I think we'll see him next season, hopefully in person. And it's still going to be strange for me seeing Scott Brown in an Aberdeen jersey. Couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. It'll be sickening. Like I say, I think we'll definitely rue it as well. I think there'll be moments through the season where... Because there's going to be ups and downs, we know that, and there could be a, a you know a bang average performance we put in where you can hear it already. We could have been doing with Scott Brown tonight, you know. I can hear that already uh, happening next season. Um, aye, and seeing him in that shirt's definitely going to feel uncomfortable. Definitely, um, it wouldn't sit well. Just one and final, it, sorry, yeah, one final point. Fallen. Aye, it is from John McVeigh. There's yeah. Simon Donnelly back up on Sky there um, talking about Roy Keane and Nicky, but that seems to be catching a wee bit of uh, momentum there, uh, Russell, when you're driving the bus. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Grant Little, bring back David Marshall. He was getting a bit of stick, wasn't he, for um, the goal last night, David yeah. Marshall? Um, I mean, I think the goalkeeper situation is a difficult one for Celtic. I've read a report that perhaps Barkas were going to cut our losses and send them back and there's going to be a club interested in Greece. You know, I understand that, absolutely. That leaves us with Bain and Hazard. Hazard, who's playing international football. Bain, who's never a, a number one. So I reckon we will sign a goalkeeper, but I'm not so sure it'll be David Marshall. Um, all will become clear in the coming weeks. And of course, Axon Bulletin will be here every day to cover that, as well as covering the games. Quick prediction for the weekend, because I personally won't speak to you again. You will be back tomorrow night with Kevin, obviously doing the dirty on me tomorrow night, Russell. Um, <laughs> quick prediction as we go on for five Scottish Cups in a row, Falkirk at Celtic Park surely we won't have an upset there I think 1-0 I think it's going to be a, I think it's a potential banana I think it's going to be a nervy affair um, I, I think we'll get, we'll get the job done but 1-0 would be my the score that's in my head Excellent. Now, Russell, it's been great. Um, we had a special guest in John Trainer. I'm going to be sharing the, the link to John's book. He's raising funds for the foundation. Um, so we'll get that out to you as soon as possible. All that's left for me to say is uh, thanks, everybody, for getting involved in the comments. And thank you to Russell Boyce for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network.